Hey guys, it's Meg. What's up? What's poppin'? Welcome back to the podcast. We've all sat through history classes in school. We're all told everything we're being taught is the truth. But is it? And what do they not teach us? And let me just start off with saying, it was literally impossible on Google trying to find history facts that were not taught in school. And like, if I did find them, they were dumb. I'm like, I'm not putting this on a podcast. Also, can I legally do this on a podcast? I don't really know, but we're going to do it anyways. My podcast professors are going to be so disappointed in me if they hear this. But I finally found somewhat of a website. I'm not even going to say what website I found it from. One, because I didn't write it down. And two, I know it's probably not super, super credible. I'm going to be real with you. It was impossible to find information. Like, I was searching and searching and searching. I was trying to find, like, a .org or .edu website thinking that'd be slightly better, but I couldn't. So this website was definitely a .com. But we're going to talk about 11 situations that they did not teach us about in school. Also, before we get into this podcast, I just want to say, I know it's July 4th. You know, happy Independence Day, I guess. But I'm using this as a thing to teach us about things they didn't teach us in school. Because, you know, everything they taught us is not the truth, apparently. And it makes me question a lot of things they learned. But I decided to take 4th of July and instead of celebrating, giving me the history of Independence Day and July 4th and how it started and this and that. Enjoy your day off for those who have it off. But here are some facts that we did not learn in school. And I'm just going to put a trigger warning in right now. We are going to be talking about some dark things. A lot of things are going to be mystery. Sorry. There's going to be no definite answer. But we will be talking about suicide and death as a trigger warning. I got to put that in legally. So there you go. And now let's start the podcast. So number one, I feel like I've heard this before, but it is the Jonestown Massacre. And this is the largest recorded mass suicide and it's where drinking the Kool-Aid originated from, that phrase. What happened was, November 18th, 1978, 900 people died from cyanide poisoning. This was a cult established by Jim Jones, who is, quote-unquote, a communist who founded the People's Temple, which was a church. Jonestown was supposed to be this utopia for citizens, but in reality, it was a cesspool for illness, hard labor, overcrowded housing, and food shortages. It was so bad that in 1978, Congressman Leo Ryan visited for an investigation, but he and several members of his party died in a shooting outside of Jonestown. Because of this incident, Jim Jones got paranoid and started telling his congregation that they were not safe from the U.S. government, and the only way to escape was to commit a quote-unquote revolutionary act of suicide, which was done by grape-flavored flavor aid with cyanide, and they administered it into children through syringes. In total, 918 people died, including Jim Jones, but some did survive. Like what? That's crazy. Why didn't they not teach us about this in school? Number two is the Tunguska Explosion. On June 30th, 1908, an explosion in Tunguska, Siberia was 1,000 times more powerful than the atomic bomb dropped on Hiroshima. It had a 5.0 magnitude earthquake. It was hot and bright as the sun. 80 million trees fell and explosions lit up the sky so much that it could be seen as far as London. Now there is a mystery to what caused this explosion. It hasn't been confirmed what caused it, but some theories include a fireball descended from the sky, a meteor exploded just above the ground, a UFO crashed into the earth, it was Nikola Tesla's fault, or a black hole touched the earth. Like, if you Google this situation, it literally doesn't tell you what caused it. It says unknown. And this is what I found so weird when I searched this incident. It said zero confirmed deaths, but three possible. Like, how do you not know if someone died from this? Like, I know it's 1908, but that blows my mind. 
Number three, the Diet Love Pass incident. On January 31st, 1959, nine experienced ski hikers from the Soviet Ural Polytechnical Institute went on a journey into the northern Urals. Urals. It's U-R-A-L-S. I really should not have done a podcast with hard words. But these nine experienced ski hikers were never seen alive again. Their bodies were found in several areas near the campsite in various states of undress, which was weird because of the freezing temperatures. Some causes of deaths were hypothermia. Some had major chest fractures, which were equivalent to that of a car crash. One girl, trigger warning right now, put that out there. One girl had her tongue, eyes, part of her lips, facial tissue, and a fragment of her skull bone missing. Their tents had been cut from the inside and their belongings and clothing had been largely left behind, which meant something so compelling made them cut their way out of their tents and run into the freezing snow. Here's the thing about this situation. There's another mystery. They have no clue why this happened. The Soviets suspected it was the result of an attack by the local Mansi tribesmen, but Mansi people were peaceful and there was no evidence of this type of attack that could have been done to the bodies from these people. So they ruled that out. There was also slight radiation found on the bodies. Theories from this now are that the students have been killed by some secret radioactive weapon or they encounter testing of some secret Soviet concussive weapon. Eventually, the deaths of the students were officially attributed to a compelling natural force and the case was closed without resolution. Like what? That is actually mind-blowing to me. Number four is the Beast of Jivudan. From 1764 to 1767, residents of Jivudan, France, were tormented by a wolf-like beast. Legend says 300 people were mauled to death. The beast was described as wolf-like but larger. Russet and black fur, a wide chest, a huge mouth, and giant sharp teeth. Most of the victims were women and children, but not everyone who came in contact with the beast died. The first victim of the attack was a young cattle farmer. She was able to fend off the beast several times in order to protect her herd. But the next person wasn't so lucky, and the beast ended up attacking and killing a teenager. For the next several years, people kept turning up dead. They had their, trigger warning, throats ripped out by something with sharp teeth and claws. 30,000 volunteers were organized to hunt and kill the beast, and there was even a reward for it but their attempts were unsuccessful. Eventually, a local prisoner by Jean Chaste, Chaste was granted early release to go hunt the beast. He shot a giant wolf and brought it back to the village to cut it open. Legend has it that they found human remains and the attack allegedly stopped. But some stories claim that the beast is still out there roaming the French mountainsides. So for this one, you know, is it real? Was it just like a made-up local legend to scare the children? Who knows? Number five. Government-approved alcohol poisoning. Yeah, you heard me right. This is actually crazy. The U.S. is wild. Like, why didn't we not learn about this in school? The mid-1920s, prohibition was in full swing, and so wasn't bootlegging. So in 1926, the government thought of an idea to end the speakeasies and alcohol consumption. Grain alcohol and liquor were hard to obtain because of prohibition. So people went for easily accessible alcohol, such as those found in paint, thinner, and wood polish. You heard me right, paint thinner and wood polish. It's called industrial alcohol. And it was grain alcohol with chemicals added to it in a process called denaturing that made it undrinkable. So bootleggers use mechanisms that filter the chemicals out in a process called renaturing. It's confusing, I know. 
but they knew bootleggers were renaturing the alcohol, so they started adding chemicals to the paint thinners and wood polishes that could not be filtered out, like methyl alcohol and methanol used in antifreeze, what they basically used. In 1930, 10,000 people had died from drinking this alcohol, and those who didn't die suffered from hallucinations, blindness, and excessive vomiting. And the most wild part about this whole situation, like I know what everyone's thinking, the government killed 10,000 people. Like, that's a felony. They should be in jail, murdered, whatever, you know? No, 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 no. The government got away with this because they said, and I quote, you shouldn't be drinking alcohol anyways. Like, what? What is wrong with us? Literally, the government killed people, and they said, oh, well, that's your own fault. Like, what? Imagine using that as an offense in court. If they, like, I don't know, got to a car accident, well, he should have been paying attention to the road. Like, what? It makes no sense to me. Number six. Amelia Earhart's disappearance. I actually did a whole project on her school. I think she's such a cool person, but for those of you who don't know her, Amelia Earhart was an American aviator, a pioneer in her field, the first female aviator to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean, and a re-owned author who wrote about her flying experiences. Her 1937 disappearance and subsequent death is debated as a mystery to this day, and that is because she disappeared over the Central Pacific Ocean after an attempt around the world's flight. Her last radioactivity was received on June 2, 1937. A rescue mission led by the U.S. Navy and Coast Guard was launched, and a costly and lengthy search self-funded by her own husband, George Putnam, was also done. And no wreckage or evidence of Earhart was ever found. And then two years later, after her disappearance, she was declared legally dead. But they never found her body or the plane or the wreckage. But there are many theories that include her plane ran out of fuel, which that makes the most sense to me. They also have theories that she was a CIA agent who was captured by the Japanese forces. But that's crazy. This girl disappeared off the face of the earth and they never found her body or the wreckage to this day. Like what? Mind blowing. Number seven, the Tsar Bomba. In 1963, the Soviet Union was testing its crowning nuclear achievement. It was 25 feet long and 30 metric tons, which was the most powerful bomb to ever explode in human history. The bomb was too big for any existing aircraft they had. So the Tupolev was found and was large enough to support the weight. This bomb would be affixed to the plane and dropped from a parachute, which would give the plane the chance to get away. It created a fireball that was five miles wide and could be seen from 630 miles away. The cloud was 40 miles high, spreading 63 miles. Energy release was equivalent to the detonation of 57 million tons of TNT, 10 times more powerful than all of the mutinations expended during World War II. The blast wave orbited the Earth three times. The Soviet Union faced international outrage. Before the detonation, a small change had been made to the Tsar Bomba in an effort to tone down the damage it would inflict. Before this change, the bomb would have been two times as powerful. That's crazy. Like, I just want to know, why did they drop it? Like, where did they drop it? Why did they drop it? None of this information was out there. And I, I'm too scared to search into that. Number eight, the lost colony of Roanoke. This is actually wild to me, and I feel like I might have learned about this a little bit in school. But in 1587, John White led 115 people to a permanent English settlement on Roanoke Island, which is located in present-day North Carolina. The colony existed for two years. There was tensions with the native population, the Powhatans, which made life there grim, hostile, and supplies dwindled fast. Because of this, 
John White was forced to return back to England to get reinforcements that might ease hostilities as well as supplies. But on the way back to England, there was delays because of the English war with Spain. So this kept John away for three years. When he returned back to the colony, he found out that everyone had disappeared, including his wife and daughter. Thatched roof colleges were dismantled, and the only signs of life were the constructed fort and the words Croatan and Crow carved on a post and tree. Conclusive proof as to what happened to the settlement remains elusive, and none of its members were ever seen again. Maybe this is why they don't teach us this in school, because, like, everything's just a mystery, and we would be questioning everything all the time. Like, where did these people go? 115 people, well, John White left. So 114 people, did he take people with him when he left, do you think? Like, where did these people go? There was no bodies ever found? Do you think they, like, up and left, and they were like, peace out, John, and they just went and started their own colony somewhere else? Or do you think they got killed? Who knows? Not me, not you. It's crazy. Number nine, Pax Romana, which is translated as Roman peace. This was the 200-year period of relative peace in the Roman Empire, about 27 BC to 180 AD. Octavian became the leader of the Roman Empire and ushered a period of peace, prosperity, and innovation to follow the empire that was plagued by civil war, bloodshed after the recent death of Julius Caesar. This period brought roads made of sand and cement and stone that linked in the vast areas of empire and allowed transportation of troops, postal systems for better communication, aqueducts, and plumbing. The Pantheon was built and some of the finest literary minds were honored. This period of peace not only improved Roman daily life, but its effect in history still influences modern society. That's crazy. They literally just had a period of peace. Do you think it was actually peaceful or do you think people still thought? Number 10, the vanishing of Mary Celeste. On November 7, 1872, Captain Benjamin Briggs set off from New York to Genoa, Italy. On board was Briggs, his wife, their two daughters, and seven crew members. They were delivering 1,700 barrels of commercial alcohol needed to fortify Italian wines. Here's the thing about this boat, the Mary Celeste, with all these people on it. It never docked in Italy. But it was discovered adrift in the Atlantic near the Azores Islands on December 5th. There was no signs of a struggle, a lifeboat was missing, the captain's log and alcohol intact, and not a single living person on board. No proof exists to what actually happened to the crew members of Mary Celeste. But there are theories, because, you know, there's always theories. And for some reason, in history, the theory is always that they were abducted by aliens. I'm not even joking. Like, this literally says that there was an alien abduction, mutiny, cargo fumes that force abandonment. Like, why does the U.S. always just go, mm, aliens? Makes you wonder. And the last thing that history did not teach us is called the Waco Sage. April 19, 1993, authorities descended upon the Mount Caramel compound in Waco, Texas. David Korsh and the members of his Branch Davidin sect had been bunkered in with a stockpile of weapons for 51 days. The ATF suspected the cult was hiding the weapons, and they tried executing a search warrant on the compound on February 28th. But this resulted in the cult bunkering in and a tense standoff began. Years earlier, Davy was a religious fanatic who spent his life hopping from place to place looking for a spiritual connection. This led him to the Branch Davidins at Mount Caramel. 
David got into a relationship with the leader's wife who helped him move up the ranks. Wow. He then started preaching his own messages, which caused conflict in the group. And David ended up getting exiled for his divisive comments. And he traveled for a few years, but wound up back at Mount Carmel. During his exile, he claims God spoke to him and he was connected to King David in the biblical Cyrus the Great. Fights broke out within the compound over David's methods and his teachings. Many exiled or escaped members reported polygamy, drug use, and weapons stockpiling to authorities. For 51 days, the branch Davidans held Mount Carmel and engaged in gunfire, hostile negotiations, and flat-out war with the FBI. Like, what? An unexplained fire started from within the compound, which ended the Waco Sage, and they claimed that the fire was possibly even started by the cult members. In total, 76 people died within the walls, and six people died at the Sage's outset. Much of the information on what happened during the Sage, including to what extent they were hostages or willing participants, died with them. Isn't that crazy? Like, we didn't learn about any of this in school. At all. Like, what? Mind-blowing. Hey, what's up? It's Editing Meg, and this feels so weird popping in at the end of the episode, but I just felt like Editing Meg didn't have a place in this podcast. Like, I felt weird interrupting my stories, so I kind of just, like, said my comments in them, but I wanted to pop in real quick and talk about how I know this is only a few historical moments, and I know that there is way, way more that was untaught in school, especially for certain races and ethnicities and religions. I'm well aware of that, but... I didn't feel comfortable doing one of those podcasts, especially in the amount of time that I made this podcast in. Like, I did not spend a crazy amount of time in this podcast, especially with the research. I did all my research in one day. I did the main recording in one day. I did, like, two days of editing and a day of recording editing, Meg. And I feel like if I was going to do one of those historical podcasts and get really, really in-depth with that, I would need at least a month to pull it together. And I don't have a month for this season because I thought of this episode kind of last minute so I know that these aren't super super important historical moments or like big important historical moments and that they're only a few it's just touching the surface of what we weren't taught in school so I just want to put that piece in I'm aware that these are moments some of you might have even learned in school some of these I did some of these I didn't most of them I didn't but I just want to come in real quick and put that little PSA in there and I hope you guys have a great day now let's finish the episode so The next time that you start questioning history and you're like, is this even real? Is this not real? Just know, a lot of us feel that way, especially as time changes. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of Hey Guys, It's Meg. You can follow Hey Guys, It's Meg underscore podcast on Instagram and Twitter for updates and good times. Come back next week where we talk about summer trends because, you know, it's summer. So why don't we talk about some trends? I'll see you all on the flip side. Peace out, Girl Scouts.